0: Dr. Luis Sandoval is accomplished in the fields of mental health and spiritual warfare. A medical doctor, board certified in neurology, psychiatry, and family medicine, he is also a psychiatrist for the Roman Catholic Diocese of Orange, Ministry of Healing, and Deliverance. Now, Dr. Luis Sandoval all right folks welcome to virgin most powerful radio as always i am your host dr Louis sandoval you're listening to the dr Louis sandoval show here let's go ahead and get started with the angelists as we delve into our show where we're going to talk about what does it take to think like a catholic how are we supposed to think what are we supposed to think with well we'll talk about that in just a second here at the top of the noon hour we'll start with the in the name of the father and the son of the holy spirit amen The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived of the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it done unto me according to thy word. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Pour forth, we beseech thee, O Lord, that grace into our hearts, that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ thy Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross, be brought to the glory of his resurrection, through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. Saint Michael, the archangel, defend us in battle, be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke, and we humbly pray, and do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl around the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. know The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, folks, here we are, month of July, still celebrating the precious blood of our Lord, a month dedicated to the precious blood of our Lord. It's an interesting concept, I think, the precious blood of Christ. I think sometimes we focus so much on um, how much Christ suffered, and what he did for us. And we think in lots of ways, we forget that last part that it was for us. You know, we look at Christ, we want to console him. Sometimes we, we see him on the cross, um, obviously in a state of suffering, but I think sometimes we feel like we need to do something for Christ and we're forgetting that he did something for us, that his dying on the cross is for us and how I'm going to help him or console him. Is going to be by changing my life it kind of reminds me a little bit about when you're praying the um, stations of the cross and we get to the eighth station of the cross Jesus meets the woman of Jerusalem and what's happening there is the women are crying for Christ and they're crying because of his suffering and what does Christ tell them he says don't cry for me I'm already saved cry for the generation cry for the people who are not going to recognize what I am doing for them, who are not going to recognize what the purpose of my precious blood is, that it's for them to atone their life, not for you to feel sorry for me. I've chosen this. I've chosen this for you. Understand that as I'm doing this, you have to cooperate with me. Why was I thinking about this? The month of the precious blood, I was going through the litany again, looking at the litany of of the precious blood, and there was one of the stanzas here, one of the prayers, uh, you know, if you go through the precious blood, it starts off beautifully, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy is a response, Christ have mercy, Christ have mercy on us, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Jesus hear us, Jesus graciously hear us, we get into God of the Father of heaven have mercy on us, God of the Son Redeemer of the world have mercy on us, God of the Holy Spirit have mercy on us we wrap that up with holy trinity one god have mercy on us and then we go into the individual uh venerations individual titles individual ways that we view the blood of christ one of the important things here is you know as catholics we're looking for therapy sometimes I, this came up in a few different conversations people always come up to me and say where do I find a good therapist how do i find a good catholic therapist i need to find a Catholic doctor, a Catholic psychiatrist, a Catholic psychologist, whatever it is, I want them to be Catholic. And my question to them is, why? Why do you want your psychiatrist to be Catholic? Do you ever say, uh, gosh, I want to find a good Catholic cardiologist? Because any other cardiologist, ah, no, 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 I don't want to talk to them. Or I want to find a good Catholic primary care doctor. Sometimes people do, but for the most part, if I have a broken bone, I don't need to go find a good Catholic orthopedic surgeon. I need to find a surgeon who knows how to heal my body. Okay, fair enough. And then if we say, I want a good Catholic psychiatrist, why? Well, that's a little bit more understandable, right? Because they're going to teach me, they're going to help me think. But I think that that's where we fall a little bit short. I think sometimes we think, oh, a good Catholic psychiatrist is going to help me think. Really a psychiatrist or a therapist, I shouldn't turn to them for how to think. Or what to think about. A psychiatrist or a therapist, I see as am I thinking clearly? Do I have the capacity to think clearly? Am I seeing reality for what it is? I don't want them to give me content. I think that that's why people always say I want a good Catholic psychiatrist, because as mental health workers, sometimes we do um, unfortunately, try to tell people what to think, not just how to think, you know, and that can be a little bit challenging. But then that leads me to my next question, which is gosh, if I don't need a Catholic orthopedic surgeon, and really, if I'm going to go to a therapist, they're going to tell me how to think, not what to think, or they shouldn't tell me what to think in terms of my morality, my, my life. Who should I turn to? Who should I go to? Because am I going to see things clearly from the perspective of the soul? That's really what it comes down to. Am I going to be able to see things clearly from the perspective of the soul? And I think that that's why people want to go to a Catholic therapist or a Catholic psychiatrist, because they want to say, hey, help me think like a good Catholic. If this is happening to me and you're Catholic, you're going to understand how I think. I think it's almost the equivalent to saying, I want somebody who understands my culture. I come from whatever foreign country, a lot of people say, and you know, if I meet a doctor from that country, they're going to speak my language. They're going to understand the customs that we have. They're going to understand why we do things, and they're going to lead me in the right direction. I think that that's the important part of saying, hey, I want a good Catholic psychiatrist because I want somebody who understands how I'm supposed to think about what I'm supposed to think. Okay, we're talking about the mind. So for the body, well, I can get anybody to to fix my body for certain things. But when it comes to Catholic morality, I want a good primary care doctor who's not going to rate me for saying, no, I don't want to use it." All right, folks, well, welcome back to the original of the radio. You're listening to the Dr. Sandoval Show. Today, we're talking about therapy, talking about healing, talking about the precious blood as medication. Before the break, uh, I was talking a little bit about who do we go to for healing? Obviously, to heal the body, you know, we go to a doctor, and we hope that they do have good morals. We hope that they speak our Catholic culture, and we hope that they give us the right medication you know, medication that some medications we're not allowed to use. Some medications we say, nope, that goes against my faith. These are important things to think about. Um, The other thing to think about, I want to go to a good Catholic psychiatrist. I want to go to a good Catholic therapist. Why? Because I want to make sure that I have um, somebody who's going to guide me mentally, somebody who's not going to tell me, Uh, what to think that might go against my Catholic faith. And these things are all fair. But as I was going through the litany of the precious blood this month of July, as we celebrate it, there's one part. It says, blood of Christ, Eucharistic drink and refreshment of souls. I'm going to read that again. Blood of Christ, Eucharistic drink and refreshment of souls save us. It's a proper response to uh all of the uh different ways that we refer to the precious blood in the litany save us right we don't ask christ to pray for us he's we pray we ask everybody else to pray for us and christ to save us and have mercy on us but this was an important one i thought because okay we're talking about the body we're talking about the mind i think we're very good about thinking about that all the time am i doing what's right <clears throat> how am i treating my kids how am i treating those around me am i saying the right things these are all mental things how often do we ask ourselves, am I thinking clearly with my soul? You know, and if I'm not thinking clearly with my soul, what do I do about it? The reality is, folks, we're going to get sick. We're going to get sick in body, mind, and spirit. The body, very easy to observe how we get sick or to see it. You know, we don't feel good all of a sudden. We feel tired. There's a change from our our normal um, expectation of how, the body's supposed to feel we're in pain. We can't wake up. We don't feel alert. The mind, it's the same thing. Boy, I'm feeling really angry, or I'm feeling really, you know, I'm not thinking clearly, feeling depressed, feeling anxious. Those are the main things that your therapist, your psychiatrist can help you with. You know, there's a depression, there's an anger, or something more serious. There's a psychosis, somebody's hearing voices. And when it comes to that, all of a sudden, that's when we're really interested in, and this happens all the time in deliverance ministry everybody wants to know is this is this mental health issue or is this a um a spiritual issue am i being afflicted by demons and i think that a lot of times we think um or we get really excited by that a lot of people you know if there's ever a, a lecture on the diabolic boy it fills up. Like people want to hear about that but is there, if there's a lecture on the eucharist we don't get as many people coming and really one of the questions I would ask in terms of soul health, the idea of the precious blood, what does this have anything to do with it? As I read this, let's tie this all together, blood of Christ, drink and refreshment of souls, drink and refreshment of souls. Do I ever stop and think, am I not feeling good? Not because I'm being attacked by evil entities, but am I not feeling good because I haven't been to the gym? I haven't seen positive things or surrounded myself with humor or something positive for my mind, or I haven't reached out to Christ. I haven't spent time in front of the Eucharist. I haven't gone to confession. I haven't gone to receive communion. Or if I go receive communion, eh, I just kind of, I know I go up in line because everybody else is going up in line, but man, the whole time I was sitting in church, I was thinking about what I'm going to do with my finances, or I was thinking about how I'm going to pay for that next car, or I was thinking about something totally different. Am I receiving the Eucharist? Am I going to Christ often enough to make sure that my soul is healthy? It's not enough to, say, fight demons if I'm not doing anything to get closer to Christ. Why is this important? Because this is what it tells us, blood of Christ, Eucharistic drink and refreshment of souls. A lot of times I think when people feel spiritually afflicted, I think they need to recognize that what's going on is that they are spiritually starving, starving for Christ, starving for the true true food for the soul, the true health of the soul, drink and refreshment of souls. When was the last time we were thirsty and we drank something and we felt, oh man, that felt really good. Hot day. It's been hot in the last few weeks. First thing I want to do is get a cold drink. Right. I don't think, I don't necessarily, uh, if I'm out in the sun, sure. I'm going to say, let me get a sunshade. Uh, let me get out of the sun. Let me get out of the heat. Trying, going to try to get into the air conditioning. But at the same time, I want something cold to drink. I want to refresh myself. It's kind of the same thing in the spiritual world. You know, people come to me all the time. I think about this, this came up a lot, especially in therapy sessions when people want to feel better. And they say, doc, what's going on with me? Is this spiritual? Is this mental? We sit down, we go through it. And one of the things that I ask all of my patients who come in through the door, especially if they're Catholic, if they're Catholic, I directly ask them. When they're not Catholic, we, we talk about it in a different way. But when they're Catholic, I say, have you done an examination of conscience? And they look at me sometimes like, well, what are you talking about? And I say, you're not feeling good. I can give you medication for depression, or I can give you medication for anxiety, or I can help you out as far as, you know, your mental health goes. But as far as your spiritual health, are you going to feel spiritually healthy just because you're not feeling anxious? Not necessarily. That's like saying, okay, you're going to get out of the sun. You're not going to be so hot. You're just going to stand in the shade. Is that all you need? Well, what you got to remember while you're in the sun, you're sweating, you're dehydrating. Yeah, you're going to go stand in the shade and that's great. But the first thing people need to do is take some water. You need a refreshment for the body right? If I've been in a vacuum just working and, uh, you know, this classic when kids are in college and they're studying and it's finals week and all they're doing is studying the different books and focused on the academics, what do you need to do for the mind? You say, okay, I need to get away from this a little bit. Where am I going to go? Maybe I'm going to go catch a movie. I'm going to refresh my mind with something different, something that's enjoyable for the mind. You know, maybe I'm going to read something different. I'm going to read something for enjoyment. The same thing has to happen for the soul. A lot of people are dying out there. A lot of people are not feeling good and they haven't addressed the soul. We need to start thinking of the soul as a real entity. Why? Because even St. Thomas tells us, if we sin, when we sin, we cloud the mind. What we're really doing is clouding the soul. I can't see clearly anymore. I need to refresh my soul. How am I gonna do that? Gotta get to the Eucharist. How am I going to do anything in life? I got to get to the Eucharist. Honestly speaking, the Eucharist is the answer for everything. Really, more than anything else, am I ready to receive Christ? If I'm not, my soul's not going to be healthy. My soul's not in a healthy place. I need to get to a place in my life where I can say, blood of Christ, Eucharistic drink, and refreshment of souls save me, and I'm going to go receive the blood of Christ. This is where the precious blood of Christ comes in. Do we remember when we receive Communion, especially in the month of July, do we think about this as we're honoring the blood of Christ? I'm receiving the body and blood of Christ. What's the point? What's the point? So what? So I received the body and blood of Christ. So what? We need to get to that point to ask ourselves, so what? And not in a rude or disrespectful way, but in a very basic way where we say, why am I doing this? Why, why even go to church? I say this because this happens all the time. This is what I see with my patients when I tell them, have you done an examination of conscience and they're Catholic? And we ask our, I ask them, well, how often are you going to church? Well, you know, I don't get anything out of it. I don't like the priest. Uh, the homilies he gives are kind of boring and dry. I, I don't get anything, you know, I need something that I get. I, I like to go to the beach. I like to go see a sunset. And that's where I see God. Okay. Well, that's great. i got in nature too. I think sunsets are beautiful. I think mountain paths are beautiful. I like to go hiking. There's different things that are beautiful in nature, but that's like me saying, well, it's really hot out there. Have you drank water? Yeah. You know, water, I don't like the taste of water. It's okay. But I also don't like the guy who's selling the water. I don't like the person the, I don't like the way that he, you know, he talks to people. Um, and I don't have to, I don't like having a walk over there to go get the water yeah, but you're standing in the sun, you're about to dehydrate. At that point, most of us wouldn't care. They'd say, yeah, that guy's kind of rude. Look, I just need the water. I just need to get refreshed again because it's really hot outside. I'm dehydrating. I'm not doing well here, right? So what about church? Or to say, well, I'm not going to get water. You know, I look at pictures of waterfalls and that's really my inspiration for water. Or I like to go and look at the ocean, which I can't drink because it's salinated. The salt will kill me. I just like to go look at it when i'm thirsty that's what i do no we need to we need to drink the water there's no question about it the question is are we doing the right things to actually give our soul drink and refreshment am i actually receiving the eucharist am i going to church thinking look i don't like this priest or for whatever reason you know we're all human you kind of rose me the wrong way or his homilies they're not that inspired am i here for his homilies am i here to be inspired or am i here to say Thank you, Christ, for dying for me, for spilling your blood for me, and actually allowing me to receive it. Look, the homily might be a little bit long-winded, or it might not be as inspired. But my inspiration is coming from they're going to they're going to pass out communion right now. You know, I see this all the time too in deliverance ministry when I ask people who feel that they're being afflicted spiritually. Some are, some aren't. But if the feeling is there, if the perception is there, sometimes that's what matters for for them. But you know, you you talk to people and you say, well, you know, are you able to receive communion? Sometimes I say, oh, I'm not, I'm not able to. Well, why not? Oh, because I hear these voices telling me to do this and that. And the first thing I ask them is, well, what's Christ telling you to do? Are we listening with our soul? Or are we listening with our mind? That's the big difference. You know, people worry about, oh, can a demon possess your soul? No, a demon cannot possess your soul. Can a demon possess your mind? A demon can really influence your mind. I can possess the body, but really influence the mind and how to think. But I can't tell the soul how to think. We still have free will. Free will is going to come from the soul. At that point, my question is, are you willing to listen to Christ? What are we listening to? I'm going to go and the homily not so good. There's the precious blood of Christ right there in front of me. How many times, I ask people in deliverance this as well, you know, the people want to find out, oh, have you ever seen people levitate. Have you ever seen this? Have you ever? We get really enthralled in that. How many times have we asked a priest, what does it feel like at the moment of consecration to hold the body of Christ in your hand? What does that feel like? You're You're looking at the bread. What does that feel like as you say the words, this is my body, this is my blood, and there is a transubstantiation? What's going on? That happens every time we go to mass. Are we in awe of that? You mean that every time we go to Mass and the priest says, lift up your hearts and the heavens open up, are you trying to tell me that I am really traveling in time and I am there with Christ about to receive his blood? It is the precious blood of Christ. It, it happened many years ago, but yet it's happening right now too. So you mean I got to think outside of eternity? We're more blown away by parlor tricks or, you know, evil influences than the fact of what is really happening in the mass. This is where we need to start thinking with our souls. I'm going to go get refreshment. I don't care who's selling it so long as the refreshment is good. And this refreshment is really good for my soul. I'm going to give this story a little bit later on in the show about a patient who came to me and understood the power of this refreshment of souls um, from a very different perspective. Uh, It really changed their life, uh, and it happened during the quarantine. But um, before that, we've got to ask ourselves, what is it that we're doing? Is my soul sick or not? Before I can even go say, okay, well, I'm going to go receive the Eucharist. The church tells us we have to be in a good place spiritually. We have to be in such a place that we're not going to be offending God. By going to receive communion, I'm saying, yes, I want to be saved by Christ, and I'm going to put myself in a condition spiritually Where I'm able to receive Christ with dignity. Is that possible? Well, it's not possible if if we're in a state of mortal sin. You know, I was talking last show about uh, talking to a priest about confession, and he was asking me all these questions. And not that I was in a state of mortal sin or anything like that, but he was asking me the right questions to get to that point where he's saying, Well, if you feel like you're, I'm just going to give an example. This is not my confession, but just in general, if somebody comes and says, You know, I feel like I'm prideful. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean that you're prideful? Does it mean that you are consciously making sins that would be grave in that matter because your ego is not letting you uh, be humble? Are you hurting people on purpose? Are you stealing from people? Are you feeling that you're entitled to things and you're being prideful that can lead you to a path of mortal sin? That was an impressive confession. This priest really got to that point. I think a lot of times um, we want to feel good, priests want to be liked, and they're not willing to come in and ask those questions. But by not doing that, a lot of people get the idea that, you know what, I can receive communion anytime. I can be in, you know, I just don't feel good. I think I need to go receive communion. I think we, that's where we don't feel healthy. That's where we don't feel healthy spiritually. And that's where we start to fall into this trap of, well, you know, I can do anything I want. God's all merciful. But there's that part where I need to change my life. It's the equivalent of, again, healing to precious blood. Precious blood will always heal us if we're in the right frame of mind. But if somebody comes to me as a doctor and says, you know, I broke my leg and I need you to fix it. Sure, no problem. What happened? Well, I was skateboarding and I keep jumping off this cliff. You know, I keep trying to make this jump off a cliff and it's just not happening. At six feet. I'm going to jump off again. The first thing I'm going to tell them is don't jump off anymore. That's not healthy. That's not good for you. Well, I'm going to keep doing it and you're going to keep healing me every time I do it. After a while, I might say, I'm sorry, I can't be your doctor, because that's a lot of liability. If you're going to keep doing that, I'm letting you know you shouldn't do that. Yes, well, you're going to go to the hospital, and every time you go to the hospital, they're going to heal your leg, but I can't take on the responsibility as a doctor of somebody who's purposefully wanting to hurt themselves, purposefully not minding breaking their leg. That's a tough place to be. You know, It's a tough place to be on both parts. I think it's the same when we go to confession or when we're ready to receive communion, you know, I want to receive communion, but eh, I don't want to fix my life. I don't want to make it better. I don't want to, um, you know, change anything. I don't actually don't even want to look at my sins because that's hard to do. It's a lot easier to just think, you know what? God will take care of it. I'm going to go to go to uh, communion. I haven't been a confession, but God will take care of it. That's a tough place to be. That happens a lot um, for a lot of us. It's, it's easy to to fall into that place. That examination of conscience that's our own personal surgery that's my own personal delving into what have i done and am i ready to receive the blood of christ It's a good question to ask there's no easy answer shall we say but when we come back from the break we're going to talk about a case of somebody who really felt like wow this is really true this is what i need to do with my life i need to go receive the eucharist regardless of who it is that's around me, of, of who the priest is at church, of what other people might think or say, because I want to be with. that. on that after the break. All right, folks, well, welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You're listening to The Dr. Sandoval Show. As always, I am your host, Dr. Sandoval. And today we're talking about healing with the precious blood is this possible is this uh is this real you know one of the times we sometimes we think uh, uh you know we take the eucharist for granted more than anything i mean that's that's how i'll say it i know i have i know i sometimes i still do probably you know i don't think about it the way i should what am i doing i'm going to go receive the body and blood of christ you know what i'm doing while i'm trying to receive the eucharist sometimes i'm thinking how's my kid doing are they paying attention what are they, what are they crying about now? What's happening? Why are they upset? Who's touching who? Don't do that. You know, There's a lot of things that go on that can be easy uh, distractors for us as we're about to receive the Eucharist. It's hard sometimes to really get centered in Christ. I say centered, a lot of people say, oh, centering prayer, that's bad. Thinking about Christ, centering my mind on Christ, realizing where my uh, salvation comes from, and realizing what it is that's going to happen Uh, in that moment, realizing that I'm going to go receive the precious body and blood of Christ. Well, I guess one of the questions that I would say is, what would we do if there was no more medication? Natural disasters, something terrible happens, what's the first thing that happens? We see, oh, there goes the Red Cross, and the Red Cross is going to go give. What's the Red Cross known for? They're always asking for donations. They're saying, please give blood we need blood. Why? Because in an emergency situation, when there's natural disasters and there's, when there's, uh, you know, unfortunate tragedies that happen, first thing we want to do is we want to have blood and we want to have all types of blood. Why? Because people need different types, right? Are you type A, type B, type O, AB, whatever it is, we want to make sure we have the right blood for the right people. Okay. We see the Red Cross, they're going to get out there, they're going to give medicine, and that's what they're asking for. Do we ever find ourselves in a spiritual crisis? And are we willing to receive the blood of Christ? It's an interesting concept when we think about it. What would happen if there was no more Red Cross? What would happen if there was no more Eucharist? Well, folks, that's what happened, right? So we're, think back to our quarantine and all the churches closed down. Near me, if anybody's listened to my show, you know that the Byzantine, the Catholic Byzantine church near me was open and that's where we started going. And we said, hey, they're open, this means something, let's keep, let's keep going here, because they are not going to close down in a state of, quote-unquote, emergency. So, that's important to consider. Um, you know, who is still, which priests are still willing to say, "Like you need the Eucharist, that's, that's all there is to it. What if there is none, though? Because before I found that church, there was none. What do you do? Where do you go? Do you even care, though? That's really the question. Does it? Do we get to a point where we say, "Oh my goodness, I really need this. I need uh, the blood of Christ. I need the Eucharist. I need the body of Christ," and now I don't have access to it? What's going to happen? Am I am I prepared for this or not? Well, that's what happened to us, folks. How many of us were shocked by that? How many of us were uh, thinking? I never imagined this would happen. Living in Southern California, in the Los Angeles area, the Orange County area, the San Diego area, we are overflowing with churches. We have masses going on all the time. Any Sunday, you can find a mass anywhere, even if you have to drive to it. You know, Let's say that the local church near me, uh, I missed the mass because it was at noon. Well, a few miles down the road, I'm sure there's going to be a mass at 1 somewhere or two, or three, or four. There's always going to be a Mass. Am I willing to go get the spiritual food? Do I understand the value of it? You know, there's different people who do, and different people who don't. But I had a patient who, during the quarantine, really was struck by not being able to receive the Eucharist, because he really loved the Eucharist. It wasn't that he took it for granted before. It was one of these things where going to Mass was it was one of these situations where he said, wow, I found this great church. I really like the priest. I like the people. Um, you know, I, um, I, I think it's, it's a great fit for me. You know, a lot of times people are looking for, I want to find the right spiritual home. I want to find the right church for me because of the personality. Now, me personally, as long as I'm going to receive the Eucharist, if I'm on vacation or whatnot, if this is a Roman Catholic church, or I should say a Catholic church, Roman Catholic, Eastern Rite Catholic, as long as it's a Catholic church under the authority of the Pope, I'm on vacation. Let's go receive Jesus. That's the body and blood of Christ. And I want to receive the body and blood of Christ. And that's what happened to this gentleman. When all the churches closed down, when he saw that his priest, who he had full faith in, said, no, I'm sorry, I can't give the Eucharist out anymore. I can't listen to confessions. Churches closed down. That was a shocker. He had not imagined, he had thought, this is the perfect place for me, this is where I'm going to continue until my dying day, and I'm going to have a, a wonderful uh, spiritual life, and I'm not going to have to worry about anything else. But the key to this is that the spiritual life for this person was based not on Christ. It was based on personalities. It was based on other people. It was, And not that we shouldn't be charitable to other people, of course, and I want to be nice to anybody who's around me. For him, it was this is the building, this is the personalities, this is the people, and yeah, that can inspire us to have what we think is a good spiritual life. I'm not going to make uh, uh, I'm not going to make any suppositions. You know, everybody thinks they have a good spiritual life, but what he realized was, wow, the priest who I admired, who I thought this was, who I was putting my faith in, this priest, and not in Christ, because all of a sudden his eyes were open. And he said, this priest has to follow rules from his bishop. And if he's gonna close down the church, I feel so disappointed in this priest. That's what that was his reaction. But then he came to the realization of, wow, this priest is he's just a human being. Yes, he has the holy orders and we respect that. Absolutely. But he's a human being who has to follow orders from another human being. What am I going to church for? What am I upset about? Am I upset that I can't talk to this priest? Am I upset that I'm not hanging out with my congregation my, you know, once a week? Do we turn mass into a club? This is a hangout. I'm gonna go hang out for an hour. And while I'm there, you know, gosh, they they have communion. But I get to go hang out, I get to see people, I get to say hi to people. And it was a good mass because my friend showed up and we were able to have a coffee afterwards and talk. That was a good mass, or it was a good mass because my, you know, the priest gave a good homily. So that was a good mass. No, he started to realize, wait a minute, what am I doing? What am I missing here? All of a sudden these people are gone, priest is gone, but my Eucharist is gone. I can't receive the body and blood of Christ. This is a serious problem. Why did I come to meet this person? Because they fell into a depression. They fell into a depression during the quarantine because they said, I never thought I wouldn't be able to receive communion, but more importantly, I didn't know that that's what I was going to church for. Yes, obviously, consciously, He knew he was going to church to, then he was going to receive communion, but he gained insight. He gained spiritual insight into the fact that going to mass was to focus on the Eucharist to receive the body and blood of Christ. That's kind of what it took to him. He said, you know, I was kind of, at first I was so upset about this quarantine, all the churches closing down and, you know, all these things happening because I couldn't hang out with my friends. That's what I was upset about. I wasn't upset that I was being, I was being negated the body and blood of Christ. You know, are we at the point where we say, I absolutely need to receive the body and blood of Christ. I don't know who the priest is, but I know that the transfiguration, the transubstantiation of the bread and wine will be the same regardless of who the priest is. Maybe the graces that are flowing might be different. Maybe if it's a, a priest who's uh, really trying to lead a good holy life, I might get more inspired graces because there's an element of faith that goes into it. But the, the transubstantiation is going to happen regardless. This is going to have. This is where can a, a sinful priest forgive my sins? Absolutely. Can a bad doctor give me good medicine? Absolutely. Can a sinful priest still have transubstantiation? Still consecrate the the bread and the wine to the body and blood of Christ? Absolutely. It's not about the priest. Am I receiving Christ? Am I focused on the right things when I go to church? Am I focused on, especially in this month of July, the blood of Christ and the purpose of the blood of Christ? I think one of the challenges, though, is that it doesn't always feel real to us. Because as I'm receiving it, it still tastes like bread, it still tastes like wine. But when it's taken away, let's just use the example of the quarantine time. I can go to the supermarket and I can buy myself bread. I can even get unleavened bread. And I can buy myself some wine. I can drink it and I can think of Jesus all I want, but that's still just bread and wine. Nothing changed at all. I can pray over it. I'm not a priest. I can pray over it as many times as I want. Nothing changed. I don't have that power. That power has not been given to me through holy orders. I need a priest to do that. Absolutely. So when I go to church, I hope there's a priest there. That's what I need. I hope that there is a consecration. What's happening at that consecration though? Am I focused on, is this the body and blood of Christ? The priest says the words, something happened. And I think that that's where I got to be a little bit more in awe, you know, and this is what I tell anybody who comes to me for deliverance, you know, are you impressed by the fact that there's the body and blood of Christ right there in the tabernacle? Yeah. So this person spoke in different languages or this person said they were possessed or, you know, maybe they were, they were influenced by something dark. Yeah, that can happen. Is that what's going to impress me? Or am I going to look at the precious blood of Christ and realize, wow, that's the price of my salvation. There's a relationship here. I want a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's how I'm going to be saved. I don't want a relationship with the dark side. I really don't. But a lot of people will get so fascinated by reading about, listening to, have to read every book on deliverance and exorcisms, have to listen to every story, every podcast, and have this great focus on that, thinking that, you know what, I really need to fight the devil. And they forget, no, what I really need to do is refresh my soul with Christ. Because what's the point? What's the point of fighting the devil if I'm not with Christ? If I don't have a relationship with Christ, am I preparing myself to go to heaven? This is the price of my salvation, the precious blood of Christ. I look at that and i say when i go to church what am i expecting what am i expecting to see i think i'm going to see as much as i allow myself to see with the eyes of faith you know a lot of times we get excited father father how many how many demons have you expelled how many exorcisms have you been at what is what is it like Ooh, wow you know look at that the real question is father how many times have you seen a soul transformed to love Christ more when you're in the confessional? What does it feel like when you're up there at the altar and this turns into the body and blood of our God in your hands? What is that like? How many times have you seen people's lives changed because their heart was transformed by Christ and he healed them and their soul now had spiritual health? Refreshment of souls, drink and refreshment of souls. More on that after the break. all right folks welcome back to virgin most powerful radio you're listening to the dr sandoval show you know it's important and it can be challenging to remember that christ is working in our lives even today it's hard because you know we look at the news we look at what's going on around us we see the frustrations among the catholic world we hear different things you know our faith is going to be challenged in certain ways the Pope is saying this, or bishops are saying uh, things contrary to our faith, what we know to be the truth and deposit of the faith. Holy bishops, like my favorite bishop, Bishop Strickland, my favorite bishop, America's bishop, um, you know, are being questioned, investigated, because they're speaking about the deposit of the faith, or they're standing up for the Catholic faith. Am I going to be questioned because I'm going to stand up for the Catholic faith as I know it, as it came through Christ and the apostles? You know, am I listening to uh, priests who have their own opinion or are actually talking about uh, the salvation of my soul and what's important for my soul? Or, you know, are they talking about, ah, you don't have to worry about these parts of the catechism. It's, it's, it's a struggle, really, at the end of the day. Where do I put my focus? Where do I, how do I know what to do? How do I know what's good for my soul? I don't want to be led in the wrong direction. This is why we say, I want a good Catholic therapist. I want a good Catholic doctor. I want a good Catholic priest. You would never think that we'd have to ask for that. I want a good Catholic priest. Really what we're saying is I want a priest who is going to show me the way to Christ, who's going to give me the truth, who's not going to give me their opinion. But when they put in that collar, they no longer have their opinion. They only have the opinion of Christ because that's what I want. Ultimately, I want Christ. Every time we go to church, I got to think to myself, it's not about the building or the people around there. Sure, if people are nice, I want to be nice to people, and I hope that they're nice as well. But when I get there, the reality is I want Christ. I want the Eucharist. Sometimes we forget, though, that Christ is still working. Christ is very real. It's easy to forget that, not just because we see the um, shocking tragedies in the world or the challenges to our faith, but more than anything else, because you know, it, it, the Eucharist is all around us all the time, that we forget that it's a miracle in and of itself. The Eucharist is a constant miracle. It's happening every single day, every hour of the day, all around the world. It's a constant miracle that's always happening. We get jaded. We get used to it. We say, oh yeah, yeah, you know, it's there. Oh yeah, you know, it's happening. But sometimes it's good to hear about different miracles. And this is where I really enjoy um, when I read about, look, in this place of the world, all of a sudden there's a Eucharistic miracle. Let's look at some of these. Let's look at some of these Eucharistic miracles and see what we're talking about. This reminds me that the blood of Christ is happening now, that Calvary is happening now every time we're at church, that Jesus has not left us, that he's working in our lives. And I have to take that step back and stop trying to control God's will. I want to do God's will, but I'm going to let him know what it is. Happens all the time. God, I'm going to do your will. And this is what your will is for me. This is how I'm going to lead my life because this is what you want for me am i willing to take that spiritual step back and say i know what i want but i'm going to wait to see what god does for me i'm going to wait to see patiently what direction is god moving me in it's hard to do sometimes it's hard to do well let's look at a few miracles here's a few that show us that the eucharist is real and it's really the blood and body of Christ. In Lanciano, Italy, in the 8th century, around 750, it says the miracle of Lanciano involved a priest who experienced doubts. Isn't that all of us? That's human. We can experience doubts. Is it a sin? No, we got to ask for faith. It's a sin to not ask for faith. If I'm experiencing doubts, I better get ready to ask for faith. It says he was experiencing doubts concerning Jesus' actual presence in the Eucharist. As he was leading the Mass, he began to recite the words of the consecrated blood found in 1 Corinthians, right? As we usually hear, he said, this is my body, and this is my blood. He witnessed the wine and the bread turn into the real human blood and flesh. The blood then coagulated into five globules, which represented the five wounds of Christ. Real blood, wine doesn't coagulate. Blood well. Word spread rapidly of this miracle, and the flesh and blood remain preserved to this day. And you can actually go visit them at the Lancianos Church of San Francisco. One day I want to do a pilgrimage. That would be great to do a Eucharistic pilgrimage. You know, I'm going to the church not because of the building, not because of who the priest is. I don't know who the priest is at that church. I'm going there because I want to see the body and blood of Christ, and I want to see it in actual body and blood form. That's kind of cool. Not because I doubt. But because as human beings, isn't that what we want? You know, you take a kid to a, a toy store and the first thing they want to do, you, or the first thing I tell my kids is don't touch anything. They want to go touch it. They want to experience it. I think this is where we get um, that inspiration. I think this is why Christ allows us to happen because he's saying, I'm letting you know this is real, but sometimes you need to experience it. Sometimes we're doubting Thomas's. Um, and is that a bad thing? Well, I think that that's, I wouldn't say it's a bad thing. I'd say it's human, but I think it's a bad thing if we don't stop and say, gosh, I'm having doubts or I'm not thinking about it as, as real as I want to, I better start praying for faith. When we forget to pray for faith, faith, hope, and love, we got to pray for those. They're not just going to come to us. We've got to ask for it. If I forget to ask for it, if I don't stop and say, God, I want some faith, that's where we're going to fall short. I wouldn't say bad, but it makes us take steps backwards. we got to keep praying for faith. Let's look at the next miracle. Bolsena or Vieto, Italy. This was in 1236. The miracle of of Oviedo appeared to a priest who doubted the doctrine of the transubstantiation. Again, transubstantiation meaning changing of the bread and the wine into the body and blood of Christ. And what happened to this priest? During, During communion, he doubted about this during communion. After he had consecrated the Eucharist, the host began bleeding onto the altar's liturgical cloth. At the exact moment, the priest ran and confessed his sin of doubt. To the Pope who was visiting the town at the time. The liturgical cloth remains on display in the Cathedral of Orvieto where people visit to venerate and honor the sign of one of the earliest Catholic Eucharistic miracles. See, for the priest, it might be more of a sin to doubt. You know, he says he went to go confess a sin of doubt. It'd be interesting to ask, is it a sin for me to doubt? Could be as a Catholic. I mean, if anybody has an answer, feel free to email me, let me know. Um, but definitely for a priest, that's what you that's what you signed up for. This is my faith. I I can't doubt that. Let's look at another Eucharistic miracle. So this one is in Cassia, Italy in 1330. It says, while most people know Cassia is a place to pay homage to St. Rita, St. Rita, great saint. If anybody doesn't know about St. Rita, you know, patron saint of impossible causes, um, go ahead and read about that. It is also the location of a Eucharistic miracle. A priest was preparing to visit a dying parishioner a short way from Siena. During his preparations, instead of putting a pix in his prayer bravery, he placed a consecrated host instead. So he just he just put the host in his bravery. After arriving at the dying parishioner's house, he heard his confession and absolved him of his sins. Then he opened his breviary, only to find that the host had bled, staining both pages with blood. One of those pages remains in Cassio today. That would be definitely interesting to see. You know, you put a host in there; the host just looks like bread. This is a reminder when we are receiving the Eucharist, even if we don't receive from the chalice, that bread alone is the body and blood of Christ. It's all contained there. Amsterdam, Holland. In Amsterdam, in 1345, a devout Catholic man who had fallen ill desired to receive communion. His family notified their local priest who, after administering the sacrament, told the family to burn the sacraments in the fire should the sick man throw up. He did throw up that evening and his family cast this purged Eucharist into the fire because obviously if he received communion, but he's going to throw up, the priest is saying, let's be reverent about this. Let's not throw it away. Let it burn, but let it burn in the fire. The next morning, the man's wife looked into the fire and saw the host back in its original form, not fearing for her safety. She reached in and retrieved the host besides retracting her hand unscathed from the fire. The host itself was cold to the touch. Despite plunderings and attempts to remove the host from the city, it miraculously remained there for several hundred years until the church was torn down and the miraculous host was lost in the early 1900s. Well these are older miracles do we have any newer miracles because we can say gosh you know these miracles happened a long time ago there's a few newer ones let's look at the newest one I'm going to put a link to this article in, uh, on our on the video here on the bottom but uh, this one's from Poland in 2013. It says, it was Christmas Day when Monsignor, uh, I'll say Monsignor K, I can't pronounce his last name, picked up a consecrated host that had accidentally fallen to the floor. 2013, he placed it in water to dissolve. That's what we do. Host falls on the ground, you place it in water, you let it dissolve, and you put it down the holy sink in the sacristy. Suddenly, a reddish color appeared on the consecrated host. Testing ensued, and with results finding that the host contained striated tissue from a human heart. Other findings also posit that the tissue showed similar signs as those seen in tissue after the agony of death. Today, the Eucharistic miracle is on display in a small shrine, and that is in Legnica, Poland. That was a miracle from 2013. That was, you know, 11 years ago. It's still happening today. Well, I was taken aback a little bit, and I'm still waiting to see what the results are. There was a Eucharistic miracle that apparently occurred here in the United States this year. I don't know if anybody heard of this, but there's an article here, shocking Eucharistic miracle being investigated in the United States. What is this Eucharistic miracle? Body and blood of Christ, month of July, precious blood. This happened in the Archdiocese of Hartford, Connecticut. And this article says the Archdiocese of Hartford, Connecticut is investigating a possible Eucharistic miracle that occurred on March 5th. As I hear about these miracles and they're happening today, a reminder to me. You know what's a reminder to me more than anything else as far as spiritual health and mental health? To worry a lot less. Really, more than anything else, why worry less? God is still happening. Miracles are still happening. And these miracles happen without me doing anything. It's going to happen in God's time. Why am I so worried about certain things? I got to do this. I got to do that. I get to here. I got to finish this. I got to do this project. These things happen. Am I taking the time to worship God right now in this moment? Am I willing to say? God's going to take care of this. Even if it seems like things aren't well, if I don't have an open door somewhere, God's going to give me the keys to somewhere else. Do I have that level of faith? That brings me peace when I think about that. God is still working in my life. The main question is, am I letting him? Am I letting him? Am I stepping aside and saying, okay, God, you lead, I follow. That's the question of the day. Well, what is this miracle that occurred on March 5th, right here in Connecticut in the United States? Says so a priest at St. Thomas Catholic Church in Thomason, Connecticut, had recently claimed a Eucharistic miracle. What happened was the minister who was handing out the Eucharist was running out of host. They had actually worried that they weren't going to have enough for the congregation. And all of a sudden, instead of running out, the Siboria were refilled miraculously. And by the end of Mass, they had the same or even more consecrated hosts as when they started i really want to hear about this miracle i want to hear what happened i want to hear what happened with this investigation it sounds extremely christ-like the multiplying of bread so that people so that everybody could eat and on top of that not only multiplying of bread but there's more than when you started god is never uh, uh, outdone in his generosity god will always give us a lot more than what we give him that's the kind of god we have am i ready to accept that god is my soul in a condition, therapeutically, where I'm ready to accept that God? Have I done an examination of conscience and therapeutically gone to confession and say, I don't need anything but the Lord my God and the blood of Christ, Christ for of my salvation? So next week, let's keep it Catholic.